Hello and welcome to Logicast episode nine. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined today by my colleague, John. How are you doing, John? I'm okay. Hangover from the weekend, but I'm okay. Good, good. Uh, that's what we like to hear. Uh, I know you're not a football fan, um, so uh, you probably <laughs> weren't uh, hungover because of uh, England's victory in the World Cup, but I bet many people are this morning. Um, uh, not that, uh, of course, everyone's going to be listening to this uh, <laughs> while the World Cup is on, uh, but uh, certainly at the time of recording it was. Uh, but uh, we're not here to talk about football or hangovers. Um, Logicast, as you may well now be aware, is a weekly AWS News podcast. Um, once a week, um, I personally curate a list of AWS News, which we distribute uh, via my weekly AWS News Roundup newsletter. Uh, and then John and I uh, take a deeper dive look at some of the articles uh, that we think warrant further discussion. Um, so uh, we've got another, a number of articles this week. Of course, last week uh, was the annual running of the AWS reInvent conference in Las Vegas. Um, we didn't go, uh, but I did attend some of the sessions um, remotely. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today uh, is in a blog post that I wrote last week um, about uh, all of the new service announcements made by AWS CEO Adam Slipsky um, at reInvent 2022. Uh, but we've got a couple of other articles that we're going to talk about before that as well. Um, we hope to be at reInvent next year. That's uh, on my bucket list. Uh, it'd be nice for us to be doing the Logicast podcast from uh, from reInvent in Vegas. Uh, but uh, this week uh, we're doing it from our sheds in southeast UK uh, in uh, in winter. Um, so uh, not quite the same as being in the nice hot desert <laughs> in, in Vegas. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're still going to be enthusiastic about AWS News nonetheless. Um, so uh, what do you think, John? Would you, do you have going to reInvent next year? Oh, if you pay for the tickets and the flights. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but there's no such thing as a, a free lunch. So uh, we'll make sure that you uh, earn your ticket and flights when you get there. Um, so, it sounds uh, like even though you weren't there, you sound like you've picked up a, a conference flu anyway. I've picked up some sort of flu and uh, it did come on the day after me watching the reInvent keynote. So uh, perhaps I did pick up conference flu by proxy just by watching the keynote and being virtually in the room. Uh, with all of the other 60,000 um, reInvent guests. So, um, yeah, who knows where that came from? But the timing, is it coincidence? Uh, who knows? So, um, yeah, this week uh, we've got a couple of articles that we wanted to talk about. And then this one did actually get a mention in the reInvent um, keynote. And I think it got a mention in my blog post as well. Uh, but we've got a separate article from Yahoo Finance um, all around Amazon's plans to be water positive by 2030. So we've spoken a lot about sustainability on the podcast before, um, but this is a, a new aspect of sustainability that I have to admit, um, prior to me seeing this article, I didn't even know it existed. Um, so uh, yeah, by, by 2030, Amazon plans to be water positive, which means giving back more water than they consume. How is that even possible? I have no idea. No idea. Like sustainability is something that's important generally, relatively close to my heart. I've got solar panels and the batteries and all that sort of thing, and I collect rainwater off the shed and all that jazz. I have no idea how they're going to be water positive, water neutral, sure. Um, because as the article says, you know, there's increasing increasing pressure on global resources, and within the next five, six, seven years, um, demand will outpace supply by forty percent, which is just mental. 
Um, water neutrality, and to an extent positivity, but mostly neutrality, is something that you tend to hear coming out of um, power generation, because obviously they use water for cooling, um, and some of that gets lost in steam, which is not great for the environment, because steam, water vapour, greenhouse gas, everything gets hotter. You know, the science on that is well known. Um, so it's, it's the sort of thing you come out with from power generation. So I, I don't know. It's, I don't like saying I don't know, but I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's what are they doing? They're water efficiency, sustainable sources, community water reuse and replenishment projects. So this is, I suppose what this is, this is not so much each um, facility putting out more water than it uses. It's the company as a whole, I guess. And they know that they have, they need this much water, you know, for um, air conditioning, cooling and, and giving to the staff and all this sort of thing. So they have to then do counter-investment in other projects that produce more than that, is I suppose what they're talking about here. I mean, sustainability is something that Amazon as a whole, not just AWS, has been kind of hot on generally because they can't afford not to be. Um, the article does talk about the packing, packaging per delivery and packaging efficiency and all that sort of thing, uh, which they've been doing for years, since like 2015. And um, it might have been Amazon, it might have been another delivery thing where it might have been UPS where they um, worked out that it was in the States more efficient to not turn left against traffic. So they'd do three right turns instead of one left turn because it was more efficient because they're not sitting there and in America you can turn right on a red light. So it's that sort of thing, I think, as well, um, which granted is not water, but, um, you know, you need water for producing fuel. You use less fuel, you use less water. So, yeah, odd, but important nonetheless. I guess it's going to become like the whole uh, carbon offsetting thing where you just pay to plant some trees in a, in another part of the world and uh, tick the box. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the, the community water projects. I guess it'd be a similar thing. It will just be taking some, uh, some of their profitability and investing it into um, water sustainability mm. initiatives um, so they can get their, their points to tick those, those water Hopefully boxes. it's not a points-based system because the carbon credits thing, and we're not going to go into detail on this, but that is fundamentally broken. It doesn't work. It's broken. Mm. So hopefully it doesn't turn into that and it's very much more direct action. Yeah, more positive. Being water mm. positive could be more positive. Cool. OK, uh, let's move on then. Um, so the next article um, was, uh, I believe it was an announcement from reInvent, uh, but uh, last week was just a, a complete barrage of announcements from reInvent. Um, so uh, it's our job to um, sift through the barrage of announcements and just bring you the things that we think are interesting, or at least the things that we want to talk about. So uh, the next article uh, was on the uh, AWS news blog, um, and it's about uh, Amazon Inspector which now scans AWS Lambda functions for vulnerabilities. I know you're a big serverless fan, John. Um, so uh, what uh, what's this going to do for, for serverless? So the article touches on this. Again, this is another one by Marcia, which, which we like because she's very good with these. Um, the article touches on this. Uh, the log4j vulnerability that we lots of noise made a number of months ago where particular versions of this were just massively exposed and yada 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 what that found was that scanning your functions for vulnerabilities in your CI/CD process you need to do that great 
at deployment time. Great, we like that. The CVE at the time didn't exist. Got passed, put up. Lovely. The CVE then became a problem. We knew about it. And loads of things were impacted that were already live. Well, how was this missed? Because it wasn't scanned for. No one knew to look for it until afterwards. And yes, in the world of serverless, in the world of lots of other things, once something's deployed to production, it might not change for a while if there's not a business need to change it. So what this is doing is this is scanning things regularly. I don't know how often, but I think it's sort of daily or something of that nature. Um, after it's been deployed for newly emerging CV, uh, CVEs and, and security holes generally, which is great. We like that because it's proactive monitoring, more proactive, more good, more better. So, yeah, it's not on by default, I guess. It's something you need to turn on. Um, Correct. Yeah, it, it's not free. Yeah. Yeah. Any idea off the top of your head what it costs? Or am I putting you on the spot again there? Oh, I can look at it up. Uh, 15-day free trial, and then it depends on how much it's scanning. Yeah. Pricing. So, What's the pricing tab say? Do, 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 do. 30 cents per function per month. Mm. Not cheap. Not horrendous, but not cheap. Well, It's cheaper if it's doing container images and things. Yeah. yeah, exactly, right? This... Uh, serverless project that we've got in the books that i need to get on with sooner rather than later is going to have 80 or 90 functions right yeah. i've been in deployments that are more than 200 functions and that's all of a sudden that becomes quite expensive mm, well i guess you know I, I guess what's the cost of a breach <laughs> yeah. um you know <laughs> the, the, the ceso's of... job usually <laughs> yeah 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 so the cost of remediating a breach versus, you know, a hundred, couple of hundred dollars of uh, vulnerability scanning. Um, mm. You know, I don't think it's outrageous, um, but uh, yeah, like you say, if you're in an environment with lots of functions, then uh, then potentially it is going to start to mount up. Um, is it um, is it scanning functions that are not running? So uh, if you've got functions in there that, that are mm, not everything. doing anything? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. everything. So the way it works is it's scanning um, functions, Lambda layers that are attached to functions, but only the specific version. So if you've got, because layers can have multiple versions. So if you've got several versions, it'll only um, scan the ones that are actually in use, which is fine because that's kind of what you want it to do. Um, it does container images, which is important because um, you can run lambdas based on Docker images. So that's important as well. Um, so what it's doing is it's just, you know, added lambda functions. So Amazon Inspector itself is not a new tool not a new service because it's always been doing like ec2s and on push to ecr and that sort of thing um, but they've just added lambda functions to that cool um, i guess uh, you know more and more people starting to migrate to serverless um, including the project that you mentioned so uh, that's a welcome addition to to the portfolio um, so let's move on then to my blog post 17 new aws services announced by adam slips get reinvent 2022 we're not going to do all 17 because uh, otherwise we'll be here all day. Uh, but uh, let's just have a scan through and uh, have, a, have a look at uh, some of the announcements that were made. So let's pick on this first one, um, the preview of Open Search Serverless, because I know you've got some opinions around that, John. Um, mm. So uh, tell me what it is first, um, and then, uh, then by all means share your opinions. <laughs> that's this whole podcast to, isn't it I, I know you don't need to be invited to do so so yeah <laughs> 
I have an opinion. Listen to me. <laughs> oh, dear. So open search. Let's start with that. Quick definition of open search. It used to be called elastic search until elastic. Um, this is a family friendly thing. So uh, ruined their public image. Let's, let's go with that by mucking around with their licensing such that it couldn't be resold because um, elastic Elasticsearch, amongst a number of other elastic tools, up until not a huge length of time ago, were on like an MIT or an Apache license or something of that nature that meant that the open source version you could um, put on some servers and, and run for other people and resell them, which is exactly what AWS was doing, right? They had a managed Elasticsearch service based on the open source version of Elasticsearch. And Elastic made their money at the time by running, offering to run it for you um, and by having what they called X-Pack, which is an extension pack, which added features which you couldn't get in things like managed, open, uh, managed Elasticsearch that wasn't run by Elastic. So that's how they kind of made their money. They argued at the time that they weren't making enough money and Amazon were kind of stealing their lunch, so they changed their license so that you weren't allowed to resell anymore. The response to this, of course, was uh, lots of noise in the community, rightly or wrongly, um, and AWS then forked the last open source version of Elasticsearch, created OpenSearch. Run with that. In their tradition of making things that run on servers not run on servers, or run on servers but not make you pay for them, uh, what they've done is they've come up with OpenSearch serverless, which is a bit of a misnomer because it was to run on servers and you're still paying as if it was running on servers so that's kind of my opinion that's this is problematic because you pay per open search capacity unit which again is another thing for someone to remember for the developer exam because you have to remember all of these cu acronyms so you've now got dynamo read and write you've got aurora capacity units you've got uh, open search capacity unit you've got so many capacity units to work out now which is just a pain <laughs> Uh, but you pay per provisioned hour, which is fine, I guess. I, that's fine. Because, I mean, with Dynamo, you kind of do the same, unless you set it in pay-as-you-go, because you pay for provisioned read-and-write capacity units on a per-hour basis, unless you set it to pay-as-you-go. And you pay for the storage in Dynamo. So, again, I don't have an issue paying for the storage. The problem I have with this is there's no pay-as-you-go option. And that sort of makes sense from a commercial's perspective. Because running Elasticsearch, running OpenSearch, I suppose, is expensive. It runs on big servers, it runs on powerful instances, and they take power and they take juice and so on and so on and so on. So it sort of makes sense, but this is what bothers me. Because with Dynamo, there's a pay-as-you-go option. With Aurora, whilst there isn't a pay-as-you-go option, if you wanted a pay-as-you-go database, you'd use Dynamo, I think. There isn't sort of a free tier here, not really. And there isn't a pay-as-you-go option whereby you can sort of explore open search without getting clocked for a dollar for every four hours. So what's that? That's 720 hours in a month or so. I can't do the math in my head, but that's a good couple of hundred dollars a month for just playing with it. So that's the problem I have with this. Generally, it's good. It's a good step. It's definitely a good step because there's a lot less that you need to worry about configuring and managing and maintaining and patching and updating and all that jazz because they're doing it for you but there's no way of exploring this for less than a couple of hundred dollars a month that bothers me mm. but perhaps the people that are going to be using this the sort of scale of projects that they're going to be uh, using it for that perhaps that couple of hundred dollars a month is uh, 
relatively small beans for them. I don't know. It might end up being trivial. Yeah, it might be. But then you take into the um, kind of recommended architecture of an account vending machine and one account per developer and everyone having their own architect, and then all of a sudden it starts being not small beans because hmm. large companies, team of 100 developers, oh, hang on, we've just spent... 2,000, 20,000, 200 on development environments. It just doesn't sit right. I'm not yeah. saying that we shouldn't, that Amazon shouldn't be doing this and shouldn't be exploring moving more things into serverless. I like serverless. I like not managing servers. I don't know. It, it feels like a... I know it's in preview and it feels like it shouldn't have come out of preview yet to me. It just doesn't sit right. Well, perhaps that's what will end up happening is, uh, you know... Um, we know other commentators have uh, said the same things or similar things about it. Perhaps the feedback will be incorporated. Uh, Amazon, of course, is a uh, customer-led business. So uh, if that is the feedback that they're going to get um, from the commentators and from the customers, then perhaps before it goes into general availability, that feedback will have been incorporated um, and the pricing model will be a bit more granular. But we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Um, you know, it could be could be another three to six months before that goes into general availability. So, um, and I guess that's largely going to depend on the level of adoption they get. And if that adoption is being hampered by the uh, by the pricing model, um, then uh, I'm sure that they will do something about it. But um, yeah, good good to see, as you say, nonetheless. Um, so um, yeah, so in, in terms of the uh, the other articles in the blog post. They were sort of loosely grouped into uh, data announcements initially. Um, and uh, I thought the second one was quite interesting as well. The Amazon Aurora Zero ETL integration with Amazon Redshift. Um, so that's uh, getting your data out of your database and into your data warehouse, which um, I guess uh, can be a protected process. What, what do you think about this one? What do they mean by zero ETL? Is this literally just dumping? Because I haven't read into this one. Is this literally just picking out of Aurora and dumping into Redshift without having to do any sort of transforms and sort of thing? Well, yeah, because normally to get the data out of the database and into the data warehouse, you would have to go through an ETL process. So um, I, I think it's uh, not zero ETL, but it's them doing the ETL for you. So much like a, a sort of serverless deployment, everything's still happening in the background. Uh, but it's a managed uh, process for Amazon to get the data out of. Uh, you can't Aurora call it zero T, can you? Because it's still doing the extract and the load. It's just not doing any transform. Well, it may well be doing some transform as well, but it's uh, you know it's not something that you need to do as as a, a customer. Um, so um, it, yeah, fair. Yeah. It's a good thing, right? I've all of these generally are good things. I've managed not with Aurora, but um, data warehouse solutions that you know pick from two, three, four, five, six different production databases and then kind of all get lumped into this data warehouse solution. And it's mucky, it's messy, it's horrible to have to do. You end up doing something like a MySQL replication to do it or running Lambda functions to pipe data around or you know Kinesis streams sometimes and, and triggers and it's just horrid, it's horrid. So anything that makes it less horrid is always welcome. Cool. Um, then I'm going to skip the next one, but uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about DataZone because um, that seemed to be quite a, a big one for them. Um, so DataZone being a data management service to catalogue, discover, share and govern data. Um, so, um, yeah, data catalogue populated by ML. Um, have you had a chance to look into this one? Again, no, not really, but I can make some educated guesses based on the product page. Um, so 
One of the things that large orgs that I've worked with, at least, struggle with is knowing where all their data is because they've got so much of it. It's knowing where everything is, knowing where it's come from, knowing where it's going to, where it's moving, how it's doing that, who's responsible for it and all that because big firms have huge amounts of data and they struggle to know where everything is. So by the looks of this, using using ML... Okay, because ML is a buzzword, whatever. Using ML to work out where everything is and then just give you this really nice GUI that shows you where it is and then lets you sort of pop it into Redshift or Lake Formation or whatever um, without you having to know how to do that and or be able to query it through Athena or through, again, Redshift. That's great. We, li we like that because, again, it's it's... I'm pinching an AWS term here. They like to take away customers' undifferentiated heavy lifting, right? All the difficult, nasty bits, they'll do for you. That's what they're trying to do, and that feels like what this is, which is good. Cool. Um, so uh, as soon as you love the buzzword ML, the next one's also got some ML in it. Uh, ML-powered forecasting with Q. Um, so QuickStart Q, of course, being the, uh, the BI tool. Not something I have any experience of, uh, of working with myself or, or indeed with any of our customers, but uh, they do seem to talk a lot about it at uh, reInvent. Um, so, um, yeah, I think th there was a number of announcements um, about, uh, about uh, QuickSight Q, uh, and I think this is all about sort of democratizing data science, um, you know, enabling uh, business users who don't have a data science background uh, to actually manipulate data Auto magically um, using uh, QuickSight Q. Um, so there was this thing about uh, ML powered forecasting. There was another thing uh, which um, I didn't actually get it into the blog post. I don't think, but it was about asking um, why questions, um, why questions into Q. Um, so being able to um, submit natural language queries um, into the data and get something sensible out of it. So that's not what this particular one is. This one's about the machine learning powered. Forecasting, but yeah, any any thoughts around around that or the the I usage? I thought the QuickSight was Q? for people. I always thought the QuickSight was for people that couldn't be bothered how to learn how to use Tableau, personally. <laughs> yeah, or didn't want to pay to use Tableau. Yeah, yeah, all that. Um, yeah, they they love they love a bit of ML, um, don't they? They love a bit of ML, presumably because you can just put up this great big. Oh, it's ML. It's 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 machine learning. It's it's this. It's Magic. That, it's the other. Yeah, exactly. It's a good bit of sales smoke and mirrors. It's all if statements. <laughs> uh, the natural language stuff is cool. The um, the dashboards are cool. It looks cool. Um, yeah, business intelligence is not something I've ever really had any great experience with because I've never needed to being sort of the cloud DevOps, I just kind of hook things together and then go, uh, uh, data team, there you go. Um, yeah. It looks useful, if, if nothing else. It might be worth seeing if we can get someone on this podcast that actually knows about data management. Maybe. Um, yeah, it's not really our area of expertise, is it? But we're just sort of talking about, uh, uh, you know, what came out of reInvent last week. So let's move on to security. Uh, there was a couple of security announcements. Um it was the uh, container runtime threat detection for guard duty. Yeah, so Anything that one's to say cool. on that one. Um, guard duty being what it is. Um, so the runtime for a container is not necessarily your code. It's what your code's running on top of. If that makes sense. So 
uh, it's like Docker or pick a container runtime. There's there's half a dozen or so, but the only one that comes to mind is Docker. So it's runtime threat detection rather than image threat detection. So it's kind of it's it's sort of doing that with your protection, if you like. It's uh, you know, we're we're scanning everything in the ECR, and then we're also validating that you know where you're running it isn't also stuffed. Great, lovely, we like that. Uh, it's also integrated with EKS, which is nice. So detection for threats inside containers, attempts to access host nodes. We like, we like, we likey. Nice. And then uh, this one. Um... So the next one is about this Amazon security lake, and I've seen loads of coverage on this. So I guess the market and uh, the analysts getting a bit excited about this one. Uh, but uh, it's the so Amazon security lake um, is a, a data lake that will aggregate um, security telemetry data from multiple AWS sources and many, many partner sources. Um, and they're touting it as the first um, data lake that supports the uh, OCSF uh, schema frameworks as the open cybersecurity schema framework um, standard, which AWS have been um, heavily involved in uh, in defining. So, um, yeah, we, what do you think about this one, John? Are you as excited about this as the rest of the market? <laughs> no, um, because uh, A, I'm not a security professional, and B, I've worked a bit with CrowdStrike before, and it just always gives me a headache. Um, it's important, <laughs> it is, it's important, but it's, uh, yeah, security data and security telemetry looks different from normal data that you'd put in a data lake, so it makes sense to have a a, a lens, if you like, on a data lake, but specifically for security, so that kind of makes sense. It does also make me giggle that, as you say, it supports the uh, OCSF uh, standard because, of course, it does. Amazon wrote a good chunk of that, so why wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's good to get all of this. I mean, you know, I guess everyone's competing to be that single source of truth for all of your security mm -hmm. data, um, you know, and uh, you're always invariably going to end up with a mixture of Amazon tools and third-party tools. Um, so somewhere where you can put all of that um, to uh, to correlate and cross-reference, I guess um, I guess is going to be a pretty useful tool. Um, but uh, as I say, it was uh, the reason I picked on that one. Just seen a lot of noise about it, so uh, a, lot of, a lot of announcements in the press about it. So um, yeah, certainly some excitement. Um, we could talk about EC2 instances, but that's pretty boring. Um, but, uh, <laughs> well, we could talk about yeah. Graviton because I'm always yeah. up for a chat about an ARM processor. I like ARM. Go for it. Go for it. So yeah, in the uh, in the world of of OEMs and CSPs and so and so on, making their own silicon, they've done it again. They've made version three of their Graviton silicon, which we like. Twenty five percent better performance. Is that before you wrote this? Is that performance or is that priced performance? Because that's an important uh, difference. Both, I think, yeah. Ooh. Than Graviton two, that is. So, uh, yeah. Which yeah. again was something like twenty five percent better than Graviton one. So it's like, okay, this is now getting on for what forty percent, twenty five, and then twenty five is not fifty. Um, than the original Gravitons, and the original Gravitons were stunning. Just generally, it's the world seems to have woken up to the fact and we can largely thank apple for this with the apple silicon i know i'm sitting here on an apple silicon machine and so are you um the arm all of a sudden isn't this noddy little thing that you put on a raspberry pi it's really powerful and it's still low power which 
great, love it, brilliant. I mean, yes, okay, there's architectural differences, and I've had this with ARM lambdas before, where from time to time, a particular dependency doesn't support ARM, but it, you know, that's becoming less common. So yeah, we like, we, we very much like E, and of course, if it um, hooks up with the Nitro cards as well, this is great, we like this. And of course, if it's on um, EC2s now, it won't be very long until they hit lambdas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can already select, uh, you know, Graviton powered um, instances for um, for many of the AWS um, services. So your RDS instances, mm. lambdas and so on and so forth, um, certainly on Graviton, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly which which of those managed services are available on Graviton 3 yet. But like you say, it won't be long because they roll these things out very quickly. And uh, certainly this has been of interest to our clients as well to to migrate to Graviton to get that enhanced performance for um, for a lower cost. I mean, why why wouldn't you? It's uh, it's almost a no-brainer so long as uh, everything is compatible with it, which invariably it is. Um, it, uh, it does well, it isn't no always. It isn't always. The things I've found not compatible with it tend to be... Um like image manipulation programs and stuff mm. that I've seen have issues with it. But again, they're getting there. They are. They're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I was really good for. A... I was going to say you could offload those to another managed service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Potentially. Now, what ARM is really good for is lots of IO, lots of input, lots of output because the IO controllers are just top rate and um, not high performance computing, but like high volume computing, just doing a lot. It's very good for that, and lots of maths. It's very good at that. Cool. So uh, then we had another couple of articles about EC2, just some of the uh, higher-end HPC, high-performance computing type instances that, that were launched at the event. Um, and uh, I'm conscious of time, so let's just pick on one more article. I'm not sure you're going to have much to say about this one either, John, but uh, I'm going to talk about it because uh, I just liked watching it uh, it looked really <laughs> cool so they launched this tool called simspace weaver um, which is basically uh, a tool which allows you to run massive spatial simulations without managing any infrastructure um, so you can basically run these enormous simulations of cities of uh, of uh, human um, pedestrian flow and traffic flow around cities and things like that and uh, it's the kind of thing you can just get lost in a bit of a youtube hole for is that uh, not for... just like playing sim city <laughs> Kind of is, yeah, but uh, you know, on, on a kind of a bit, bit more grown-up fashion, um, and uh, the cities in this will probably go go a bit bigger than you uh, than your Sim City cities. Well, but, there's no uh, giant robot that comes along and smashes stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's your simulation, so if that's what you want to simulate, then I'm sure you could probably do that in SimSpace Weaver. But uh, yeah, I did get lost a little bit in YouTube just watching all these virtual pedestrians walking around uh, Las Vegas uh, <laughs> as they were trying to figure out how many pedestrians las vegas can actually handle and uh yeah i just thought it was um i thought it was pretty cool it's not my again not my area i'm not into city planning or uh, smart cities or anything like that but um yeah it's just uh quite a quite a cool tool really good to see that it's integrated with both unreal engine and unity because i'm not going to get into the specifics here but the um the pricing model the licensing model for unity is is horrific and very expensive so it's good that it supports both Fair enough. Yeah, always good to have some options. Anyway, as I said, I'm conscious of time, and uh, our half hour has uh, expired very quickly this week, so uh, I don't know where that 
where that time went. So um, if you want to have a read of any of the articles that we've been talking about, uh, the links will be in the show notes. Um, so there were a lot more announcements that we didn't have time to cover um, in this week's uh, podcast. But uh, as always, thanks for listening. Um, our podcast is available on all major podcast distribution channels. Um, so uh, if you like it, um, give us a, a, a review. Uh, feel free to share us uh, with your friends um, who, who you think may be interested in listening. And we'll be or back just next share it if with, they're not uh, interested. Uh, share it anyway. Yeah, just uh, spam. <laughs> just spam it everywhere. Why not? Uh, but uh, So, uh, yeah, th- thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with episode 10.